to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. We are here today with our guest, Anna-Marie Cherisso. She's the founder of Bring It Home and teaches mindfulness and conscious leadership in schools, hosts events, leads online courses, and speaks to groups about the importance of mindfulness, consciousness, and presence at home and in school communities. She is the host of the podcast University, a popular forum amongst college students and parents alike. She offers one-on-one coaching, family coaching, aside from all the events, classes, and workshops. Anne-Marie lives with her wonderful family in Chicago and has first-hand experience in the art of parenting and balancing her life. She has co-authored the book, Little Seed Journey, with Stacey Hamburg. It's with immense joy that I welcome Anne-Marie to the show today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, such a pleasure having you here today. Um, the topic that I thought the uh, listeners would be very interested in today. Um, I kind of chose incorporating self-awareness and mindfulness in our lives. So when we hear that, I guess when anyone hears that, the first thing one would ask is, what is mindfulness? <laughs> um, that's such a good question. And it took me forever to really understand it myself. So it's my pleasure to finally share from this really deeply embodied understanding. Um, Mindfulness is just being present or aware in the moment, non-judgmentally. So really great practice, for instance, would be just to take a moment right now, close your eyes if you're comfortable with that or not, and just notice what your current experience is. So you might notice sensations in the body. I notice my palms are a little sticky. I notice a grumbling in my belly, um, a tightness in my shoulders. And then I just breathe and I notice any feelings that are here, mostly some joy. I'm I'm experiencing... um, yeah, just a lot of joy. And then paying attention to any thoughts that might be occurring. Um, I'm having the thought I'm hungry. It's lunchtime here. And then just letting that go, opening your eyes again. And in that moment, you become present to your experience of being human without any judgment. So one of the things that um, gets in the way of being mindful or aware is the chattering of the mind that is always judging whatever's going on or occurring. But in the practice of mindfulness, we're just being observers of our experience. So we're just being present to whatever's going on We use our senses to get acclimated or related to the moment, and we're not judging. So, you know, for instance, we can go, oh, my my palms are cold or clammy. And then immediately there'll be a judgment that comes behind that noticing 
that we decide, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Or, or do we want to change that? And while it's really important to have that discernment in our lives, it's also important for us to have some separation between our judgments and our reactions or responses to those judgments. So I've sort of, that was sort of a really long answer, but mindfulness is just being here now in a non-reactive state of mind, non-judgmental state of mind. Oh, excellent. We all really needed that much of expertise, right, from that introductory question, because it really helps to understand what the essence of mindfulness is. So how is it that you got into this domain of practicing mindfulness? That's a really great question. I don't even know if I remember. You know, I'm. Um, it was just like life brought me down the stream and um, somehow or another, I found myself um, really curious about mindfulness meditation. I've been practicing meditation since I was 20. Um, and I didn't have any idea what I was doing, but I was doing it. And um, somewhere along the lines, someone suggested that I go study. I, ha- I had a great passion for teaching young people this skill of meditation because I started to see the results in my life. And I thought, well, geez, if I would have known this way back when, I wonder what my life would look like. So someone suggested to me, you you should go study with this gentleman named Daniel Rechstaffen, who um, teaches mindfulness and education. He's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Um, And I just said, well, that sounds like a great idea. So I just sort of followed the flow of life. And it landed me in all of these communities where I was was exploring mindfulness. Um, And so that was, that was about, I would say 17 or 18 years ago, where I really started to deeply explore mindfulness um, and the application of it in, in real life. That's great. Already I'm inspired, you know, it just makes me want to do it day after day. I, I do yoga, I do mindfulness, but it's just that sometimes regularity becomes an issue. And I wish, I wish, you know, I could take a leaf out of your book. Uh, <laughs> so what does it help address? Why is it important if someone were to get initiated into it? Why or what would it help with? Mindfulness, which to me is the gateway to awareness or presence, it's like the entryway or a doorway to this this gold, this pot of gold that's inside each one of us. And in that pot of gold lies all of our intelligence, all of our um yeah, our, our awareness, our, you know, so all the, the juicy yumminess that makes us who we are and all the qualities and characteristics that make up who we become in the world. And when we sit in mindfulness and stillness, we quiet the outside noise of the world. And then we get closer to tapping into that deep, innate intelligence that lives within each one of us. So each one of us is gifted with this pot of gold. It's unique to you and me. Each one of us has our own little pot of gold. And all of the answers that we need on our path to being you know, fully realized, happy, self-aware, all of that 
is inside inside of that pot of gold. And so when we're still and quiet and tapped into that, we get access to all that really valuable information that only lives within each one of us. Okay. Um, We all live in this world filled with gossip. So how is it that we we can alienate gossip and bring about harmony in our lives uh, with mindfulness? Is that like a very helpful tool there, right there? Did you say gossip? Yes. There's a lot of gossip, that's for sure. So first step is gossip is uh, how I engage with others or in, in conversation in ways I'm unwilling to directly speak to the person I'm now talking about. And um, my experience is that gossip creates disconnection. And one of the things that we're really seeking is connection from one another. That's one of the things I think we're deeply seeking as human beings. So when we engage in gossip, we're trying to work out some judgment we're having about the other that we're unwilling to directly work out with them. And like I said, I, um, I believe that it, it's, it's damaging. It damages the relationship to the other, to the person we're, we're talking about. It damages the relationship to whom we're gossiping with, right? Because it's sort of um, embedding or planting seeds of disconnection now with more than one person. We're looking for reinforcements to verify the ego's ideas about what it is we're judging about this other person. So when we bring the practice of mindfulness or self-awareness to our lives, when we're feeling the desire to gossip, we can look inward once again and say, hey, what's going on over here in me? that I'm feeling this desire to gossip about this person. What, what's not being met? What need is not being met? What judgment do I have? What can I learn about myself through the judgments I have of others? And when we get um, more related to what's going on, that we're, we're more able to skillfully navigate the judgments we're having and often we create better connections with those that we're feeling the need to gossip about because we can be more honest, not only with ourselves, but with them. So it's almost like right at the moment when there is an intuition to want to gossip, just kind of connect within and then take a moment, just see what it brings. And then automatically it's probably resolved without the need to even gossip about it, correct? Yeah, I can see like someone does something that hurts your feelings or upsets you. And one of the first things you're inclined to do, right, is pick up your phone and text someone. Can you believe he said that or she said that or did that? Or can you believe this happened? Or so it's like this, this rush of emotion rises up. And then we react by acting outwardly. But if we take a moment to pause and get related to like, wow, what's going on over inside of me? He or she said or did something, and I have a reaction to that. If I bring mindfulness and awareness to my reaction, 
I get to know myself like, wow, ooh, maybe I'm a little hurt or maybe I'm a little scared. What's actually going on over inside me that needs tending, that needs attention? So I can go over here and I can go, wow, I, I, I got scared when they said that, or I felt my, I, I hurt my feelings when I heard them say those words. So now I can, I can have um, agency over my own experience. And then I get to decide how I want to be in relationship to not only them, but what they said or how they said it. Because we're big, giant story-making machines over here. The mind is really good at making up stories. And you know, we want to we protect ourselves. We want to feel close and connected to ourselves and others. We don't want to feel threatened in life. So if we just go over here and go, wow, how can I take care of the part of me that felt hurt or scared, um, then I can be more empowered and have more agency over my own experience. And then I'm not blaming someone else for what's occurring. So it somewhat brings about the the value of uh, candor and uh, how you can just connect within and then see what's realistic out of what you feel. And so that leads me to this question, how can we be candid with our children when we feel certain uh, in a certain way you mentioned okay there's this rush of energy and emotion to react and a lot of times when we handle kids we do that yeah well you have a teenage daughter I have a teenage daughter I have two older children um, and I think it's so easy to get charged uh, around our children our children have not yet really skillfully gained the tools they need to navigate their own reactivity. They're still learning how to do that. And so often they say and do things that can be abrasive or aggressive or offensive. It happens a lot with my teenage daughter. Um, in, in those moments, I think as a parent, to, to practice mindfulness, to, to bring in a moment of awareness and re, to our own reactivity, to their reactivity, if we can stop sort of the domino effect and take full responsibility for our experience and then share candidly with our children um, our experience, our own experience in relationship to whatever it is they say or do in the moment. So for instance, wow, that really hurts my feelings when you say you hate me, you know, 25 times a day. Or gosh, I notice, I notice that really hurts my feelings. If like just ooh, or ouch. Sometimes, sometimes when one of my kids says says or does something that um that hurts my feelings, I just go, ooh, ouch. And so one of the things that I think is important, again, is taking responsibility for our experience. Like, ouch, ouch, I noticed that hurts. Out blaming. One of the things we're, we do so abruptly as parents is we shame and blame our children. Um, and it creates, well, it creates blame. It, it creates shame in our children. And often they're just in their own reactivity, right? They're having their own experience. So if we can just step out of, you've done something wrong, that's mean, 
that's not okay. Don't talk to me that way. How dare you that like, even as, as I'm talking here, I'm pointing my finger, right? There is a blame, there's a putting out there. But imagine what it would be like for our children to just be in the presence of watching their parents have an experience. Think about how valuable that is. First, we're modeling for them of like how to be with their own emotions by being with our own emotions. And then we're giving them the opportunity to feel what it's like when you say or do something. It has an impact on another human being. So now you're in this place of empowerment, like, well, I really get to choose how I use my words and language because they have an impact on others. And I get to choose, do I want to feel the consequences of what it's like when I say and do those things? Does that make sense? There's a lot wrapped up in that. Absolutely. And so that just makes me wonder uh, when any of us get emotional, either them or us or anyone for for that matter, does it cause like energy blocks or how important is it then to regulate energy flow in the body for any specific reason? Like it could be any illness, anything. So how important is regulating energy flow in the body and how does mindfulness help address that? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. I love this question because we're all made up of energy. And whenever we constrict around our emotions, for instance, um, we're blocking the flow of energy. And what we want is to be fully alive and use all our energy so we have our full aliveness, right? So it's kind of like um, a hose, a garden hose. You know, if there's a kink in the hose, the water's sort of dripping out. But when you unkink the hose, it flows. The same goes for our energy. So when we aren't in right relationship, and I'm using quotes around that, right relationship around our own emotions, we're blocking the flow of our energy, which means we're blocking um, access to our own aliveness, to connection with others, to joy, to sadness, to fear, to the human experience. So when we do that, when, for instance, I know that um, a lot of parents out there don't express themselves honestly or candidly with their children to, in service of um, protecting their children, you know, I don't, I don't want to put that on them, or I don't want to upset them, or I don't want to scare them, which is really just, I don't want to be authentic. When we do that, we're blocking our own energy, but we're also blocking authentic connection with the other. And we're further blocking teaching them how to be in relationship to their own emotions. And we're lying to them because, by the way, they sense it. Like they know. We all know when when one another as human beings are blocking our real felt experience. We sense it in one another. I mean, we're, we're energetic beings. We can't deny that. So our children, we're, we're modeling for our children how to be in their full aliveness. And if we can show them by modeling honestly and authentically and non-judgmentally, remember mindfulness is being in the presence of what's occurring non-judgmentally. If we can just be in the presence of our experience non-judgmentally we're then showing them how to do the same. 
Got it. Um, so how is it that we cultivate presence and unconditional love in our lives? Um, is that like a way what you just related to? Would that, would that just fall into those category of how it helps us cultivate presence and unconditional love? I mean, it's sort of my lifelong journey, right? <laughs> Cultivating unconditional love, which I think, I think that is on like enlightenment. If we get to unconditional love, I, I think I imagine we've gotten closer to whatever I imagine enlightenment is. But for me, when I think about presence and unconditional love, it's it's being in the presence and accepting everything as it arises. Once again, I'm throwing in that non-judgmental piece. So, you know, um, coronavirus. Can we accept coronavirus just as it is without judging it as good, bad? Um, can we accept getting sick just as it is rather than good or bad, right? There's no right or wrong here. Can I unconditionally accept whatever is occurring, my child's tantrum, my child acting out, my child using drugs, my child rebelling, my child getting great grades, my child not getting good grades, like whatever is occurring, we we receive it as a gift for our own evolution, our own opportunity to be in this practice of non-judgmental loving awareness. And I think that's the greatest challenge. And that's that's where mindfulness comes in because we're building that muscle every moment of every day, can I be in this practice in these very small ways and in these very big ways? Does that answer that for you, Bye. Oh, yes. Back in a moment with our guest on Freshly Forever. Again, unconditional love, no matter what, we use mindfulness. But then when it comes to technology, we all are like, hey, why is it that you're always on your phone? Why is it that you're always on your device? So how is it that one can handle the technology piece and putting it aside or being away from it? I know I know you talk about it in your events and workshops. So how is it that, could you give us your two cents on that? I don't know. I have like 222 cents on it. Um, I, like, I don't know. I haven't figured this one out yet, but like technology and teens, if, if, if you will, um, where my focus of attention has been lately. Um, I gotta tell you, I'm a little, I have fear around the use of technology and how it's impacting the brain. Um, and I, don't, I haven't yet figured it out. I have a lot of judgments about technology right now. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Social Dilemma yet, but it was a really great movie. I highly recommend you and listeners go watch it. Um, there, and I dance in this playground of, well, this is here now. This is what's happening. This is what's occurring. Can I fully accept it? And at the same time, I can see how it's impacting young people's brains um, and how much disconnection I judge it's creating. And 
then I also go away all over into the other side going, well, I don't actually know how technology is of service to, you know, to the, to greater humanity. Like, I don't know what, what this, what's supposed to be happening as a result of technology. Um, but I do know it's a struggle here in my own life, in my family life, with my husband, with my kids and with me, I, I have trouble with technology. Do you ever take time away from technology? Yeah, a lot. I do my best. Um, I've recently, a new practice of mine um, has been, for the month of November, I made a commitment to read 15 minutes a day for pleasure. Um, Because often I read lots of spiritual and self-help books and mindfulness books. I'm reading a lot to learn, but I rarely read for pleasure. And so this month, um, I started 15 minutes a day, and it was really hard because, of course, my phone is right next to me on my hip at all times. So it would buzz, and I would go look, and or it would ring, and I would grab a call, and then that 15 minutes became you know, 45 minutes, and I would get three pages in, and I wouldn't accomplish much. So what I decided to do was I was going to make those 15 minutes technology-free. I set a timer on my phone for 15 minutes and I would just read straight for 15 minutes without allowing myself to be interrupted by any technology. And the phone would buzz and I would see my reaction, like my brain-based reaction that wanted to respond. And I would take my mindfulness and go, oh, look, isn't that interesting? You want to check your phone. Look at how that adrenaline is coursing through your veins. Look at how curious you are. Look at how I'm afraid. Like one of the things that I notice when my phone buzzes, I, I get afraid. Like I'm missing something or someone needs something right away. As a mother, I'm always like, I have to be connected to my phone. I have to be connected to my phone. What if my kids need something? So I just watched all of that occur in me. And sometimes I would step away from reading and just observe my experience. And then as quick as I did that, I would go back to reading. And what I noticed over this past month is I started to develop my attention span. So it was getting longer and stronger. And I was able to attend to what I was reading for longer periods of time. And it was really challenging. So that's a, that's a small way in which I um, have been doing it this month. And then there are lots of ways when I go on retreat, you know, when there's bigger experiences, I put my phone away for days and things like that. Oh, that's good to know. Um, is breakfast or say lunch or dinner, any time that we eat, would that be like a good time to take a break from the phones or any other devices that we use? Yeah. At dinner time in our house, phones, you know, go in the basket, on the table, on the, on the desk and, um, you know, every now and then I hear a buzz and someone's sitting on their phone and they didn't put it in the basket. But in our home dinner times, our technology free times, that's maybe 20 minutes, um, but it's something. Um, other times where family moments um, in the car, if I'm driving alone with my kids, I ask them to be off their device. I don't always win, but I'm constantly asking. Yeah, particularly when I'm one on one with my children. Um, I'm asking them to put their phone down. And often it's like, they're not looking at it. I'm holding the phone right now. They're not looking at it, but they're holding it, you know, and I, I'll invite them, please put it down on the table and turn off the, um, the buzzing so that I can have your full attention. 
One thing that I want to comment on is one thing my kids are better at than I am is the ability to attend to two things at once. So I cannot text and hear them at the same time. My kids seem to be better at hearing me and texting or doing whatever it is they're doing on their device at the same time. And so I do wonder if their brains are being wired differently, purposefully. Like if there's there's some greater reason that um, their brain is being invited to multitask because I can't do it. I don't know about you, but I can't. Well, I have a hard time too, but I guess it's uh, the new generation. You know, we all didn't grow up with smartphones. And uh, so we all grew up talking to mom and dad and we enjoyed family time. And I'm sure, you know, you all did. I know the family so well, so I can attest to that. But I guess um, it's just the new uh, dimension that we are all wrestling with, if you will. It's true. Uh, They all live in a different world. Yeah. Yeah. So how is it that we can um, inculcate this habit of mindfulness in children? So how do you teach them to connect to themselves and others through mindfulness? Well, this was one of my great passions. Um, First of all, children come into the world already mindful. So it's not necessarily something that we need to teach them. It's just something that we need to remind them by our own actions and behaviors. So just by being in the world, they unlearn mindfulness through their interactions with us and others. So the most important thing I think we can do as adults in the lives of young people is practice ourselves and model. That's first and foremost. Um, and then it's 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 all about engaging, you know, really engaging um, with them and their experience. So when they're really really little, you know, four and five, I used to go into classrooms um, in schools around the city and teach teachers and preschool kids on how to practice mindfulness. And it was so fun because they were already like in a state of curiosity and openness and awareness and the fullness of their emotions. They can go from being in a state of pure joy and excitement one minute to great despair and grief the next minute. And all they're doing is being with the flow of their own experience. So they're teaching us, actually, what mindfulness is all about. You know, no four-year-old child sits and thinks for a moment before they express themselves emotionally about whether or not this is an appropriate time or place to be expressing my great joy or my great sadness. They just have their experience. Um, So I think modeling and then also really paying attention to how we are in the presence of our young people when they're in the presence, um, in their own presence of um, mindfulness or awareness. So really allowing and creating space for those experiences to organically rise up. So we're planting the seeds in them so that they can continue to foster that 
that's it's already there. It's like an acorn. They've already got it. It just needs to be those seeds need to be watered. So just the innate qualities in them, we just sort of embellish them and bring it out into the limelight, correct? Yeah, it's a beautiful way to say it. Embellish those innate qualities. Okay. Uh, Leads me to this next question. You said planting the seeds, and I know you have co-authored the book Little Seeds Journey. Tell us about it and also all, all about your events and workshops that you do. Oh, thanks. Um, So I was teaching mindfulness in a preschool classroom here in Chicago at the University of Chicago. And we did an exercise. We were planting seeds of um, kindness um, during one of our lessons and we acted it out. So the children all, the children all chose a one quality, one seed they wanted to plant in themselves to, to give to others. So there was kindness and there was generosity and there was all sorts of beautiful little seeds. And we talked about, well, how can you water those seeds? And so after the class, the kids were so excited and and they loved this lesson. And when I left, um, my arm just started writing this story. And next thing you know, I wrote this entire long, you know, letter to parents because I would write a letter to parents after the class. And I looked down at the paper and I said, my gosh, I think I just wrote a book. I'm not quite sure. And so um, Stacy Homburg, who was one of the preschool teachers whose classrooms I taught in over at the University of Chicago, um, I brought it to her and I said, what do you think? And she said, this is, this is a book. This is lovely. And we, she started to collaborate with me and give me feedback on um, ways to, you know, to clean it up and, and, it as a more cohesive story. And so, um, yeah, we, we co-offered this book and it turned into this lovely project that I um, was so honored to co-create with her and this um, beautiful artist named Molly, uh, Molly Cranch, who created all the drawings. And really it's a story of like cultivating those um, or embellishing those seeds that naturally live within each one of us. And it's just a little guidebook for how we can do that um, for ourselves and for our children. And I know there is a seed planting kit that comes with it. It's not like a physical seed that you plant, but it's a mindfulness meditation exercise. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? Sure. Well, it is a physical seed. So, um, oh, sorry, I'm mistaken. Okay, I thought no, it was just, you know, it was a very nice term coined there to, you know, reflect the idea of mindfulness, but glad it's a seed as well. It's both and. It's um we send um well we do this in classrooms and parents of course at home can do this as well. Um and I send this kit to parents and in the kit you get a piece of seed paper. So the paper is made with seeds and we have the children write a wish or set an intention for what they want to plant in themselves and what they want for the world. So maybe they want more kindness or more empathy or more compassion. And depending on how old the child is, we get more sophisticated with our intentions. And, and then we, we plant that seed and we plant it in a, a pot or soil. and then. We use that as an analogy for um, 
you know, when we want that seed to grow, what do we need to do? We need to give it sunlight and we need to give it water. We need to tend to that seed. And the same is true when we set intentions in ourselves. If we want more kindness in the world, we have to plant that seed of kindness in ourselves and water that seed of kindness in ourselves and make sure we're bringing kindness into all of our moments, mindful of kindness. Um, so the intention was to, you know, give a little analogy for young people of um, to be more intentional about not what you want the world to be, but how you can contribute to creating that out in the world through your own investing in your own self. And then there's a meditation that goes along with it too. Oh gosh, uh, that's going to be a fantastic Christmas present. And I already know who I'm picking that out for. So I'm going <laughs> to order that. And uh, Thank you. just so the listeners can benefit from your events and workshops, uh, why don't you tell them about it and a takeaway from this program, please? Sure, sure, sure. So um, while I've spent most of my career uh, working in schools and with educators and parents, um, over the past couple of years, I've turned my attention to working with young people, so 20s and 30s, so the next generation of leaders. And uh, my workshops are focused on um, arming them with tools of mindfulness and consciousness and self-awareness so they could step into their lives um, more empowered and freer. Um, so um, I have a workshop series coming up starting in January called Everything You Need to Know. Um, to be happy that you don't learn in school. We're going to start in January with setting intentions. So really getting um, aware and, and being intentional about setting intentions. Um, in February, we have a, a live workshop with um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Laura Berman. We're going to talk about being intentional are mindful of um, sex, love, and relationships in your 20s and 30s. We're going to talk about money in March. So we have a lot of programs and workshops coming up in um, early next year. And another great way to stay in touch is um, you can join um, me in um, text. By, I send text inspirations and coaching tips and meditations and things like that. So if anyone wants to um, participate in that, you can text the words, I am happy to 474747. And we're building a nice little community over there as well. Excellent. Um, how can listeners reach you? Are you on Instagram? Can they subscribe to a newsletter? How is it that they can keep up to date with all the wonderful things you do? Oh, thank you. Um, well, Instagram is great at Anne Marie Chereso, um, A N N M A R I E C H E R E S O is my Instagram handle. I also have an Instagram for the book, Little Seeds Journey, but I haven't been super active over there as I am um, learning to navigate technology and social media. Um, and I, you know, I'm revamping my website a little bit right now. So the best place to go is Instagram to, to stay up to date. Awesome. And uh, I know you said you're focusing on the younger generation or the 20s to 30s age group. What about seniors? And is there something for people that are not in the much younger age group 
but that are that are in their midlife and maybe seniors also uh, with what you do? Well, you know, at the core of everything I teach is meditation and mindfulness. And um, I do offer a lot of meditation practices. Um, I do live meditations on Instagram. Um, and much of my practice does involve working with um, middle-aged folks who are in that time of their life when they're sort of waking up to a holy cow, what have I done? I'm not so sure how I got here. Um, so I, I work a lot um, one-on-one coaching. And um, so those are some other ways to engage as well. Thank you for asking. So the message overall as a takeaway for listeners would be stay in the moment, take a moment to gauge what you're doing, just experience what, what you feel. And it is okay to feel that, correct? Yes. And I think the biggest thing that I'd love listeners to take away with is it's all okay to experience. So one of the things that I really got clear about in when I started really embracing and understanding mindfulness is that it's not about being peaceful or being calm. It's about maintaining peace, calm, happiness, equanimity, no matter what's going on around you. So if we could all just debunk this idea of what peace and calm we believe it's supposed to look like and notice in the places in our life where resistance is showing up, those are the places where we get to learn. Those are the places we get to learn where we're not in a space of unconditional love, where we're in judgment, where we're not accepting. And that's, that's where we bring our mindfulness practice to. How aptly and very, very, very well said, Anne-Marie, um, you said equanimity, you know, that's, that is one character I wish everyone can inculcate, you know, I know it's probably not innate, but I guess, you know, it's something that we all can practice, such a fascinating conversation, and I'm so thrilled we did this, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Bye. Thank you so much. It was so lovely being with you. And I want you to know that I have um, such gratitude and appreciation for the light you are, for the love that you exude in the world, for the work that you do, and for the gift of being you as fully as you are. Oh, thank you so much. Those are very, very kind words. And uh, my best always... uh, to everyone that's listening and to your family in particular. Thanks, Anne-Marie, and uh, we'll connect back some other time. We'll check in back with you. I'd love that. Thanks, bye. Enjoy the holiday and stay safe, happy, healthy, and well. You too. Before I sign off, folks, I'd like to remind you to keep that feedback coming. I'm just so thrilled to see those every single time. and. Uh, Be sure to rate the podcast and follow the podcast at Fresh Leaf Forever on Instagram, at Fresh Leaf Forever One on Twitter. The Facebook page is Fresh Leaf Forever and the website is www.freshleafforever.com.
com and that's one word i'll see you back again next week with another interesting guest and another interesting topic until then it's bye saying bye bye for now